0: Section eighteen of The Maker of Moons and Other Short Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Maker of Moons and Other Short Stories by Robert W. Chambers. The Black Water. Chapter Three The morning was magnificent. A gentleman with symmetrical whiskers named Blylock, and I, were standing on the veranda of the Rosebud Inn. Blylock's mind was neutral. His lineage was long, his voice modulated, his every action acutely impersonal. The subdued polish of Harvard was reflected from his shoes to his collar. When he smoked, he smoked judiciously, joylessly. "'And you lost the fish?' said I. "'Yes,' says Blylock, with colourless enthusiasm.' "'In the West Branch?' "'Near the Forks,' said Blylock. "'Do you know the pool?' "'I regretted that I did not. "'He had once asked me whether I knew "'the string beans of Beacon Street, "'and I had replied with the same regret. "'Now he learned that I was culpably ignorant "'of the pool at the West Branch Forks. "'Blylock looked at the mountains. "'The White Lady was capped with mist, "'but except for that there was not a cloud in the sky.' The gilded dome towered, clear-cut as a cameo, against the pure azure of the northern horizon. Lynx peak, jagged and cold, shot up above the pines of crested hawk, whose sweeping base was washed by the icy river. Do you think he might weigh five pounds? I asked. Possibly, replied Blylock. I regret exceedingly that I lost him. But, thank God, Plymouth Rock still stands, was what I felt he expected me to say. I did not I merely asked him if he had ever experienced emotion why of course he answered seriously but when I begged him to tell me when he suspected a joke and smiled if I had a son who smiled like that I would send him to Tony pastor's oh that smile gentle vacant blank as the verses of a brook farm bard bleaker than Bunker Hill for sweet charity's sake said I Tell me why you do it Blylock Do what he asked. Oh said I wearily nothing lose a five-pound trout for instance. I Had on a brown hackle said Blylock. It was defective It bust said I brutally did you curse No replied Blylock Isond came out and we took off our shooting caps Put them on again directly said his aunt, nestling deep into the collar of her jacket is it too cold for the trout to rise mr Blylock Blylock looked at the sky and then at his fingertips there was a seal ring on one of his fingers which I was tired of seeing I listened to his even voice. I noted his graceful carriage. I even noticed the momentary flush on his cold cheeks Oh, how tired I was of looking at him? It wearied me as it wearies me to read advertisements in the cars of the elevated railroad, but I liked him. Blylock, said I, get a gate on you, and we'll whip the stream to the intervale before dinner. The water will be cold, said Izzand. You ought to have waders. Now Izzand knew that I had no waders. I loathed them. Blylock always wore waders. Thank you, said Blylock. I will not neglect to wear them i looked at isonde and met her eyes oh said i spoiling everything with intentional obstinacy mr blylock never forgets his waders for a moment the colour touched her cheek but she treated me much better than i deserved bobby said isonde remember that you have been ill and if you wade the river in knickerbockers you'll be obliged to eat sherbet again so she knew the mystery of the soap suds I have no waders ysonde i said humbly do you think i had better not go you know best she said indifferently and i got my deserts to the placid satisfaction of blylock ysonde walked away to join her aunt and i loafed about sniffing the breeze sulky undecided until blylock appeared with rod and creel going inquired blylock no i shall paint i said after a moment's silence he joined Ysonde and her aunt, and I saw them all walking toward the trail that crosses the river by the White Cascade. Blylock had undertaken to teach Ysonde to cast. I was surprised when she accepted, for I myself had taught her to cast. However, I never asked any explanation, and she never offered any, to my secret annoyance. It was just two weeks that I had been out of the dark room. I was totally blind in my right eye, but nobody except Keene and myself knew it. I was becoming used to it I was only too thankful that the eye to all appearances was as perfect as the other eye But I dreamed to begin painting again I feared that everything might be colorless and globsided That I should be a ruined man as far as my profession was concerned. I had put off the beginning of work from sheer cowardice Nobody, but an artist can appreciate my mental suffering Nobody, but an artist knows that two eyes are little enough to see with Had the accident destroyed the balance of my sight would my drawing be exaggerated Unstable badly constructed out of proportion would my color be weak or brutally crude I Decided to find out without further delay so when on and her aunt and Blylock had disappeared I went to my room gathered up my well-worn sketching kit, screwed two canvases into the holder and marched manfully out the door into the sunlit forest. Ridiculous Billy followed me. This capricious porcupine had taken a violent fancy to me from the moment I emerged from the dark room. Of course, I preferred his friendship to his enmity. I still bore a red scar on my ankle, but what soothed me most was his undisguised hatred of Blylock billy bit him whenever he could and the blood of bunker hill appealed to heaven from the piazza of the rosebud inn blylock took it very decently the porcupine was ison's property but although he himself suffered in silence and Izon darned his golf stockings as partial reparation i always fancied that his blood was importuning heaven and remembering george the 3rd i trembled for ridiculous billy Sometimes I was sorry for Blylock. Sometimes I was not, especially when Ysonde darned his golf socks. Blylock was Linda Sutherland's cousin, but I demonstrated to Ysonde that this did not concern her. Sometimes I wished that Blylock would go back to Beacon Street, and yet I had grown fond of him in a way. The porcupine followed me into the forest, poking his rat-like muzzle into every soft, rotten stump, twitching his white whiskers. A red squirrel followed him from tree to tree chattering and squealing with rage, but Billy lumbered along stolid blasé Entirely wrapped up in his own business What that business was I dared not inquire for Billy's malicious eyes boded evil for interlopers and I respected his privacy Walking along the fragrant brown trail barred with sunlight I recalled that cold gray morning in camp when Sutherland Linda's late lamented Waking from the troubled dreams incident on an overdose of hot whiskey and water called to me to take that thing away That thing was Billy from his nest among the pine-clad ridges He had smelled our pork and being a free-born American. He had descended to appropriate it In the gray of the morning through the smoldering campfire smoke I saw Billy in the act of removing the pork from the crutches of a spruce tree what is it? Take it away, for God's sake! bellowed Sutherland, associating Billy with other grotesque phantoms incident on overdoses. It's a porcupine, said I. Pink? faltered Sutherland. Go to sleep, you brute, I muttered, not addressing the porcupine. I took a poncho, a thick one, and ran the porcupine down. Then I enveloped him in the blanket, and got a rope about his neck, tied him to a tree, and examined my wounds. One of our guides helped me pull the spines from my person, and that night the other guide led Ridiculous Billy into the settlement, which consists of the Rosebud Inn and three barns. The taking of Billy preceded Sutherland's death by twenty-four hours. He was mauled by a panther whose cubs he was investigating. His wife, Linda, who had secured a few months' reprieve from his presence, and who first heard of his death at Fortress Monroe, came north with Isonde. Sutherland was buried in New York and two weeks later Linda and ysonde came to the Rosebud Inn all this happened three years ago and during those three years billy gorgeous with a silver collar had never forgiven me for removing him from his native wilds his attitude toward the household was unmistakable Linda he avoided ysonde he followed with every mark of approbation blylock he loathed and now he had taken this sudden shine to me Billy and I followed the trail solemnly deliberately the trail was a blind one now plain brown and gold with trampled wet leaves now invisible a Labyrinth of twisted moose-brush and hemlock badly blazed But we knew our business Billy and I for presently we crossed a swift brook Darkling among mossy hollows and turning to the right Entered a moist glade or splashed with dewy sunlight Here said I unstrapping my camp stool, is a woodland Mecca And I drove my white umbrella deep into the bank where the brook wide in sunny shallows Billy eyed me a moment rolled a pine cone over with his nose and mounted a tree I Liked to watch him mount trees. He did not climb he neither scrambled nor scratched. He simply flowed up the trunk Pleasant dreams said I as he curled up in the first moss-coloured crotch, and I began to set my palette In the fragrant sun-soaked glade the long grass already crisp as hay was vibrating with the hum of insects Shy forest butterflies waved their soft wings over the linea long-legged gnats with spotted wings danced across the fern patches and I saw a great sleepy moth hanging from the chestnut twig among the green branches overhead his powdery wings, soft as felt, glistened like gilded dust. An imperial moth, said I to myself, for I was glad to recognize a friend. Then a wood-thrush ruffled his feathers under the spreading ferns, and I saw a baby rabbit sit up and wriggle its nose at me. Lucky for you, I'm not a fox, said I, picking up a pointed sable brush, and I drew the outline of the chestnut-tree, omitting the porcupine in the branches. When I had indicated a bit of the forest beyond the glade, using a pointed brush dipped in Garon's foncé, I touched in a mousy shadow or two, scrubbed deep warm tones among my trees, using my rag when I pleased, and then, digging up a brushful of sunny greens and yellows, slapped it boldly on the foreground. Over this I drew a wavering sky reflection, indicated a sparkle among the dewy greens, scrubbed more sunlight into the shallow depths of the brook, and lean back with a nervous sigh. What had God taken from me when he took the light from my eye? I pondered in silence, while round me the brown-winged forest flies buzzed and hummed and droned an endless symphony. To me, with my single trembling eye, my painted foreground seemed aglow with sunlight, and the depths of the quiet forest wrapped in hazy mystery appeared true and just slumbering there upon my canvas The brook prattled to me of dreams and splendid hopes the pines whispered of fame the ferns rustled and nodded Consolation I raised my head high in the circle of quivering blue above a gray hawk hung turning 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 in silence a light step sounded among the fallen leaves Slowly I turned my sight dazzled by the sky but before my eye had found its focus. I heard her low laughter and felt her touch on my arm You were asleep she said you must not deny it. Do you hear me? I was not asleep I answered rising from my camp stool. then you are blind why I have been standing there for two minutes Two minutes then I believe I must be blind said I turning so that I could see her better She stood on my right I expected to be challenged said she I did not hear your key vive Then she sat down on my camp-stool and gazed at my canvas with amazement I Watched her in silence proud of my work happy that she should recognize it for she knew good work every time After a while I began to chafe at her silence and I bent my head to see her face I shall never forget the pain surprise in her eyes nor the quiver of her voice as she said Bobby, this is childish what on earth do you mean by such work the blow had fallen at first i was stunned then terror seized me and i grasped a low swinging branch to steady myself for i felt as though i were falling bobby she cried you are white are you ill no said i that sketch was only a joke to tease you it is a very stupid joke, she said coldly. I cannot understand how an artist could bring himself to do such a thing. It was a poor joke, said I, red as fire. Pardon me, Isond, I don't know what possessed me to paint like that. She picked up my paint rag and swept it across the face of my canvas, then turning to me, Now you are forgiven. Come and talk to me, Bobby. The sun climbed to the zenith, and we still sat there, she with her round white chin on her wrist i at her feet billy who had descended from his perch in the chestnut tree as soon as he heard his aunt's voice rambled about us snuffling and snooping into every tuft of fern one evil eye fixed on us one on the red squirrel who chattered and twitched his brush and rushed up and down a big oak tree in the delirium of temper no replied ysonde to my question Mr blylock did not fish. He talked to Linda most of the time. I came here because I had an intuition that you were going to paint. But said I, how did you know I was coming here? I never before painted in this glade. I don't know how I knew it said ysonde slowly. Witchcraft? I asked. Possibly, she said with an almost imperceptible frown. I have noticed already I said that you have a mysterious faculty for reading my thoughts and divining my intentions Are you aware of it? No, she said shortly, but you have I persisted you flatter yourself Bobby I am not thinking of you every minute Suppose said I after a moment's silence that you loved me. I shall not suppose so she answered haughtily Let us suppose then said I that I love you really bobby you are more than tiresome i thought for a while in silence the wood thrush who had come quite close to isand all wild creatures loved her began to sing the baby rabbit sat up to listen and wriggle its nose and the speckled gnats danced giddily suppose said i with something in my voice that silenced her suppose that you loved me and that i had lost my eye would you still love me Yes," said Isond with an effort. "And suppose," I continued, "I had been born with an eye blind. Could you have loved such a man?" "I do not think I could," she answered truthfully. "Probably not," I repeated, biting the stem of a wild strawberry. After a moment, I looked up into the sky. The hawk was not there, but I was not looking for the hawk. "Come," said I, rising. Dinner must be ready and your aunt should not be kept waiting i gathered up my sketching kit tenderly perhaps for i should never use it again and whistled billy to heel which he did when he chose perhaps it was something in my face i don't know but isonde suddenly came up to me and took both my hands are you going to be sensible bobby she asked her face was very serious yes isonde i said but she did not seem satisfied there came a faint glow on her face it may have been a sunbeam and she dropped my hands and whistled to billy come she cried with a tinge of anger in her voice that i had never before heard "Heel, billy but as billy lingered sniffing and rooting among the ferns she picked up a twig and struck billy on the nose the blow was gentle it would not have hurt a mosquito but i was astounded for it was the first time i had ever seen her lift her hand in anger to any living creature perplexed and wondering I followed her through the forest my locked color box creaking on my shoulder end of section 18